and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Tometz. So Matt is a sport performance coach and a sports science coordinator at TC Boost Sports Performance and that is a well-known facility for its speed and agility development. So that makes Matt the absolute perfect person today to discuss how you can use technology to improve your speed. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Matt onto the show. So Matt, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Fantastic. Thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you very much for coming. So for those who don't know who you are, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yes, yes, I'd love to. So currently, I'm a sports performance coach and a sports science coordinator at a private facility across the pond in Chicago, Illinois, called TC Boost Sports Performance. We're known for our speed and agility development. I work with nine-year-olds all the way up to pro athletes. I have a passion for integrating coaching and data, as well as educating coaches and athletes along the way, because I, I believe in giving athletes and coaches autonomy in their own process as well. Uh, I was a ex-college baseball player. I did sports science uh, for my master's for two Big Ten teams. My thesis was published in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. I make content. I'm a podcast host. I'm a freelance videographer. And in the future, it's a question I've been asking myself a lot over these these past few years, but it's going to be something working directly with athletes, something integrating data along the way, and something at a high level helping coaches and athletes along the way. So that's where I've been, where I am, and where I want to go. Absolutely fantastic. So some definitely some clarity in where you want in the future. And I think a lot of coaches miss that as well. So that's absolutely excellent stuff. Um, but what we want to pick up, to, up on today is, is how you integrate that technology and that speed training, because it's super interesting, of course. So when we look at speed, why is it important from an athletic performance perspective? Like, what, have you got any statistics which back up why it's important? Like, how, how do we need to perceive that speed? Mm-hmm. So speed... Uh, just to to get us all on the same page, context, linear speed is is the most popular one. And beyond the actual technical skills of speed, it sounds extremely simple because it is. It's who can get from A to B fastest, who can get their hips, their center of mass from the beginning to the finish before the other guy. And less about the the technical stats. And and to be honest, I'm not here to, to cherry pick research and say, oh, this thing says this, this thing says that. But I do have some interesting anecdotes. So... Just in, in sport, the premise is to make space and time for yourself. And whether it's you know basketball, football, soccer, baseball, if you have the technical skills to be fast, give yourself space and timing, that gives you the opportunity to display your sport-specific skills, score, do all of those things, put your team in a, in a chance to uh, in a position to, to succeed. But specifically to speed itself and showcasing that, I don't know how it is how it is um, across the pond, but in the state, footballs, football, 40-yard dash, that is like the biggest thing that like any athlete can talk about. That's the biggest thing at, at the NFL Combine. For baseball, it's, it's the 60-yard dash. You know, n- no one asks, hey, how long is your broad jump? Hey, what's your pro shuttle time? It's just standard, hey, what's your 40? And anecdotally from my boss, training NFL combine athletes for the last 20 years, the difference in tenths of a second is getting drafted in the first round versus the 30th, the third or a million dollars signing bonus or not, if you can hit a certain time. And more recently, an athlete that, that trains at my facility, he's a, a high school baseball player. He's been chatting with professional scouts 
And the scout said that they'll consider drafting him if he can drop his 40 time. They didn't say hit more homers. They didn't say get your arm stronger for throwing the baseball. They said drop your 40 time. And then another example is Devontae Smith. I, I don't know how much um, you and your typical follower follow American football, but he was a, a receiver at the University of Alabama. He won the Heisman Trophy, which is the best college football player. And he's like maybe like six feet, 185. And he, he actually made a, a comment because people always critique his size. And he said, this is football, not bodybuilding. You know, and he's one of the, the fastest players out there. And he's able to get open, make catches, and be the best you know, college football player there was. So there's this fascination for speed because it's very objective. It does matter on the field because it lets you display those sport-specific skills, which then set you and your team up for success. And then logically, one of the, the main components of becoming faster is the speed reserve. So if I raise my ceiling, so if I go from 20 miles an hour to 22 miles an hour, that benefits me for three, three reasons. First, my ceiling is now from 20 to 22. My 50% now gets raised from 10 to 11 and now, if I want to run at 10 miles an hour, that's less of a percent. So it's easier for me to do that. So it helps us on the field. It helps us when showcasing our, our skills, whether that's right or wrong. That's just what we put value in. And logically, from a speed reserve, that is why linear speed is important. So we've got the importance, right? Like, that's, that's super clear. Great anecdotes. Uh, really obvious why we want this speed especially when someone's going to put a million dollars in your pocket if if i was quick enough to do that i want the million dollars but how do we then train that across a range of different sports because it's not as easy as saying hey we're just going to drop this guy's 40 um if it was then everyone would do it and everyone would sit there with a million dollars in a bank account um so how do we go about training that for athletic performance mm -hmm. So similar to creating context about speed, we mean linear speed because there is different types of speed. This is actually the, the product of um, some recent speed chats that my staff has been having. And we wanted to actually uh, define <laughs> speed training, which sounds really simple. But, you know, as the four coaches at TC Boost Force Performance, we want our language on the same piece or sorry, on the same page whenever we are chatting speed training, whether it's to athletes, to the coaches, whether we all get opportunities to speak on podcasts. So the definition that we have come up for speed training, linear speed training, is a work in progress, but it's pretty close. So linear speed training is training the sprint mechanics. And then within sprint mechanics, there's shapes, patterns, and rhythm. So training sprint mechanics and maximizing force vectors across starting positions, acceleration, and transitioning to max velocity specifically that lead to significant and measurable improvements in speed. And then I can break those down further. So within training sprint mechanics, so you have shapes. So that's your arms and legs, the positions of just your body, the patterns. So for example, that could be the heel recovering, the heel recoveries of acceleration top speed. And then you have the rhythm. That could be the, the first few steps of acceleration, getting your arms and legs in sync. That could be transitioning into top speed or or just feeling what it's like floating in top speed. Force vectors, which sounds fancy because we like using simple language, but force vector is actually the, 
the most specific term because force, you hit the ground, the ground hits you back, and vector is magnitude and direction. So can we apply this force in the right direction at the right time in the right amount and then in each phase of sprinting? So you have to start first three steps, you have to accelerate, transition to top speed, and then run at top speed. So whenever we talk about linear speed development, that is the definition that we have. And how we go about doing that, it's a typical three-phase um, three system. It's pretty similar to a traditional lifting system where you go from hypertrophy to strength to power. It actually lines up pretty well. We go skill acquisition for four weeks, then we go strength speed development for four weeks, and then speed realization. So it actually lines up and it works pretty well comparing that to, to weight room stuff. So those are the different emphases. We learn the positions what it's supposed to feel like, accumulate a little bit of volume of just hitting those positions. Then we get a little bit more specific in developing um, our force capabilities in those positions. And then we let it all eat in speed realization. So how does all that sound before I get on to the, the different sports? I think that's, that's super clear. Um, um, what I'm really interested in later is, is getting a case study on that. So getting some uh, some real specifics as to how you're going about that. But we'll save that for later. So yeah, give us a, give us a quick rundown of the sports then. How does that differ per sport? Mm. <laughs> so here's the, the quick answer is it doesn't, <laughs> which I know that the, the listeners probably rolling their eyes on. But linear speed especially max velocity running is super valuable to all sports regardless of the sport. The, the main example that we always tell athletes where uh, speed development isn't as popular as basketball. So it's beneficial because first sprinting is the fastest thing that the human body can do. So we're working on the nervous system, the engine. It's super good for, for hamstring health if done correctly, because that's the most force you can put your body under. And going back to the, the speed reserve, your ceiling is higher, you become more efficient. So max velocity is important for all athletes, regardless if they actually hit max velocity in their training. But acceleration, that's super important because a lot of sport, whenever they display their speed, is going to be short accelerations. You can get a little specific in the agility, sport-specific, quote-unquote. And this is something that that I think people... Um, emphasize a, a little too much. So baseball, the the forty yard dash, sorry, sixty yard dash, they start in a in a lateral start. So they would be like perpendicular to the finish line. So they'd have to turn ninety degrees when they start because that's how they they run on the base pass. But beyond the first like two or three steps, it's it's an actual sprint. So people do everything from this crossover start when it's really just maybe one or two steps that they really have to emphasize. So, for example, baseball. Their agility is going to be on defense, mainly uh, reacting and going to one direction pretty straight versus um, football. You'll be running a route uh, on offense or soccer is going to be a lot more reactive agility with a defender. But the reason why there's value in training all types of agility and speed for all athletes, if you want a good laugh, put two baseball players up against each other in a one on one juke tagging agility drill because they never get that stimulus of just reacting to a defender and being um, being crafty and shifty and trying to evade them because they're always just reacting off a ball and running a straight line. So getting them a different stimuli, they're working those agility muscles and those skills in a different way that then will transfer and carry over to when they have to be athletic, whether they're running the bases and have to juke the defender and stuff like that. 
So if we want to get specific, maybe we can emphasize a little bit more agility, but there is value in doing agility that they're not used to because we're developing athletes, not just that quote unquote specific sport player and linear speed across the board. There's value regardless of the sport. So we can individualize, but we can make the case that there's value in training all things for all sports. Cool. So when we when we then look at technology, right? So obviously when we're we're talking speed, we want to measure that. That's pretty clear. Um, and you mentioned earlier that technology and integration is something that you're really keen on. Um, so first things first in terms of technology, uh, there's so much there, right? There's so much available. When and why should athletes be using technology? So we use it every day. So going back to our definition of speed tra- linear speed training, it ends with significant and measurable improvements in speed. Now, I'm, I'm super fortunate at a facility where my boss is an ex-engineer. He's been doing this for 20 years. He knows numbers. He knows the value of data and speed and all of that stuff. So we have a 1080 Sprint, and those of you who do not know the price tag of that, it is very high, about twice as much as my car. We have timing lasers. We have everything in in between. But also, you can get as simple as a a, a kinogram from Altus, so a series of five pictures of someone's sprinting technique, which uses just the the slow-mo function on someone's phone. Although that's not specifically measuring speed, you can just use your phone to say, has our technique improved? But... If you want to say, it's so funny, I've come across just chatting with other coaches and my colleagues sharing with other coaches, they say that they do speed work, they do like velocity-based training, they measure their jumps, and then they condition. It's like, well, well, how do you know that you're getting faster? And they're like, uh, uh, we move the bar faster. It's like, no, 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 like linear speed, you know? So if it sounds simple, but the, the simple stuff is cliche because it's true because it's overused. I, I hate using cliches, but significant and measurable improvements in speed. So we need to be measuring speed. Now, there's so many different lasers out there. We're fortunate to have Fusion Smart Speed lasers. So that's a, a little bit higher end. There's stuff like Freelap for those who have Freelap timers, Brower, everything in between. So we have to be measuring that. And that's going to benefit us for a few reasons. It's measuring our speed. But second, we have that super direct feedback. And one of the best things we ever did in the facility was we put a TV on the wall at the end of our 60-yard indoor track that we airplay the lasers to the iPad to the TV. So as soon as they finish their sprint, they get their time. And this is something else that that I feel very passionate about. If we have a bunch of transparency in our training with our athletes, right? We tell them every jump they do what they got. We tell them every sprint they do what they got. Because it's so objective and they get that instant feedback that as a coach, you're leaving some room for their interpretation of the numbers. So integrating coaching and data, I guess that's my quote unquote tagline, which I guess I just rolled my eyes admitting that that was my tagline. I enjoy educating athletes about their numbers and what they mean. And that'll be part of of my case study. But just as much as you can track speed and communicate speed with your athletes, you also have to get on the same page with your athlete about what those numbers are, what they should be, how this fits into this process of progress over time. Because believe it or not, it's not a PR every session. 
which some of my athletes still believe. Uh, but you can use anything as, as crazy as the 10A sprint to lasers, but you have to be measuring speed. And what's your, what's your favorite combination? If you were to use uh, whatever you could in the world, if you had all the cash in the world, what would you then prefer to use? If I had unlimited money, I would use a 1080 Sprint. And obviously because it measures those numbers, it, it spits out time, velocity, force, and power at 330 hertz. I sound like a salesman. At 330 <laughs> hertz. link to that? <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly couldn't imagine not coaching with it once my boss bought one. But the real value in the 1080 Sprint is that it spits out a graph of every sprint. So it, it can plot any of those or any of those three numbers over time or distance. But we usually just look at uh, velocity compared to distance. And what traditional lasers miss is mi- lasers just give you what you run. But the graph, every step plotted over time is how you run. So I can specifically say, oh, it was your fourth step, that curve kind of flattened out. Or it's, it's funny, the, the longer sprints we do, it's a smooth acceleration that transitions a little wobbly. And then their top speed is very smooth as well because we do not as much transition work as we probably should. We usually do either like 15 to 20 yards or max velocity stuff so it's interesting to see that even just on the graph that's something that that we can work or spend a a little bit more time on so there's not too many technologies that can pair the what with the how they do it as well so if i had to pick i would pick the the 1080 sprint And, and that's just a like it's a little box right that goes behind the athlete with effectively a a piece of string um is that right Yes. So it's a, a linear transducer. So basically how fast the string comes out of the machine and then it, it measures the string. So it measures the string and that's how it measures all of those metrics. But also one of the main selling points is that you can get super specific with the resistance down to the tenth of a kilogram for you people overseas. It's a Swedish company. <laughs> uh, so I, I know all the conversions from kgs to pounds in my head, but so super smooth, super specific, and super repeatable with the resistance as opposed to a run rocket, as opposed to a sled. And also, it is the most consistent um, overspeed or assisted running technology out there. So there's no string um, bunching up on the ground or bungee bunching up on the ground because it, it just rolls in itself in the, in the box. So... It's, it's a, lot, a lot of bang for buck, even though it does cost a, a lot of buck, but it does do a lot of stuff. Cool. So when, when you combine all of this together, right, like you've got obviously a lot of cool different technologies. You've got a really interesting training system. So when you combine that, obviously the athletes want to get faster and you have to give some kind of training. Could you give us an insight then with, with a case study like we mentioned? as to how you would then go about training someone who walks into your facility. Mm -hmm. So just to create a a little bit more context. So we know what speed means. We know what speed training means. But within my context, with my athletes, with my technology, just to explain where I'm coming from. So in the private side, for those of you who have not coached in the private side, it's a very unique challenge because my athletes have to pay to be there as opposed to a university or pro team. 
And I'm coaching anywhere from nine-year-olds up to pros, but a majority of our athletes is like 12 to 18, that middle school, high school range. And it's tough because it leads to a lot of inconsistent training because they have all of their other obligations. They have their school. They have their, their club team sport practice. They have their private sport lessons that they do. And the amount of times that I've had like a, a 4 or 6 p.m. workout, my high schoolers are are half killed over halfway through the workout. I say, hey, what would you have for breakfast? They said, nothing. <laughs> then I'm like, well, what would you have for lunch? And they said, half a bagel. I was like, and then you had soccer practice and then you came here. So a lot of unique challenges about getting super high quality training in. But if we have an athlete, our average athlete for twice a week, six weeks, that would be a more consistent athlete. So it's, it's a unique challenge, different than, than yours or different other coaches. But that's where I'm coming from in regards to the constraints that I have for developing speed. So with that being said, one case study, longitudinally tracking an athlete over any significant amount of time, don't have too many of those as opposed to just anecdotes, but I do have three interesting experiments or little research studies, findings from numbers that I wanted to run as a sports science coordinator to where my two bosses give me all the autonomy to, to do what I want to do. So first, we time every day. You, you measure sorry, you manage what you measure and you measure what you find important. So what insights do we have from these daily jumps and daily sprints as opposed to probably the the traditional coach that's going to be measuring their sprints maybe once a block? So we use 95% or better of our PR as a high-intensity, high-quality training rep. We got that number from Charlie Francis, and also that's been endorsed by Derek Hansen, who is a who had Charlie Francis as one of his um, kind of mentors developing as a coach. So if it's below 95%, it's more of a medium intensity and it's not really developing speed. And if you had to guess, I guess I'll, I'll tie you in. If you had to guess what percentage of the time are athletes, so 12 to 18, when doing linear speed training are below 95% of their best what percent of the time would you guess <laughs> probably 90 <laughs> most of the time if i listen to their dietary habits and uh, all the stuff they've got to do beforehand if they're if they having a, a football practice and then going to do sprint training i imagine it's not great so very interesting so all of our 515s so that's a 15 yard acceleration five yard lead in 10 yards of lasers or flying 10 so anywhere from 20 to 25 yards lead in plus 10 yards of lasers only 11 percent of the time they were under 95 percent and that's middle school high school athletes that had at least four sprints at that specific test and within that there were some athletes that were under a little more and some athletes that were never under 95 percent so it was super interesting to see that with all of those outside factors that i listed that we can consistently sit at this like 95, 97% of our best. But then that raises the question, then what's the, the difference between that and sitting 98, 99, 100, 101, PRing? So we know, at least in our facility with our athletes, with our training style, we can consistently hit a high-intensity, high-quality speed training rep. Now, with that being said... 
one of the the biggest stories that I'm most proud of as a coach was I had an 11 year old who's super fast, who's faster than some of my middle schoolers and a few of my high school athletes, just a, a super twitchy nervous system. I got her to stop saying instead of was that a PR every time she sees her number on the TV, she now sees her number on the TV and turns to me and says, hey, was that within my range? Because she understands that not every day is going to be a PR. So we track every day. We are super transparent about showing our athletes their time. And we have this range, this threshold for each athlete of what we deem a high quality, high speed training rep. And within that, if it's below 95, it justifies opening up a conversation. Hey, what's going on? How was practice the last few days? What do you have for breakfast? That I might or might not ask otherwise if they look good, if they feel good, if they're running fast. So that's that's my first anecdote from timing every day and the 95% threshold that we use. Second, a research study that I that I had was if we have one-on-one clients or if we have a, a group of athletes, one thing that you can do with a group of athletes is obviously racing, competing, and we're here to be athletes and compete against other people when it comes time to play. I won't put you on the hot seat, but what I found was that statistically speaking, p-value 0.05, I guess I'll throw some numbers out there, make myself sound smart. Athletes were two and a half percent faster when they raced. So we did a 515 just so I could standardize the start position. I would say go. I I got two sprints of the athletes when they were by themselves in the lasers and two sprints when they were racing someone with someone next to them on the outside of the lasers. And they were two and a half percent faster. So we're going to sprint every day. We're going to race when we can. We have a 95% threshold that we use. And last, using our 1080 sprint, we have really dove into load velocity profiling. So for sprints at increasing resistances and decreasing distances, which I just wrote an article on this on Simply Faster, every, every athlete has their profile. We can track their predicted max over time. We can track their slope over time, so their ability to handle resistance when they sprint. And consequently, with their profile, that's going to give us individual numbers for them to run at their 10% velocity decrement, their 25% velocity decrement, their 50% velocity decrement. So we can, quote unquote, individualize training by profiling, by by spending one or two days doing four sprints. So those are the, the three main things. That's not a specific case study, but with our our fluidity of athletes, I guess I, I won't say inconsistency, but our fluidity of athletes with all the outside factors that they have going on, we time every day at 95%. We race when we can because we're faster when, when we, we race, and we individualize when we do our resistance sprint training on the 1080 sprint. How does all that sound? That sounds absolutely fantastic. So, Matt, massive thanks for your time today. There's been some super interesting stuff for people to get the teeth into. Uh, where can people find you if they're if they're looking for some more information? I'm on Instagram and and Twitter at Coach Big Toe. So my, my last name is Tomets. So Coach B I G T O E. I'm a podcast host, the Talking Shop Podcast. My YouTube channel, Matt Tomets. I make coaching videos, whether it's sports uh sports science excel tutorials or um a little bit more training specific i have a super lame website that that i have to to update i feel like every coach has that website that someone told them it was important but they don't update nearly as much as they should so don't do that just send me a dm i'm on ig and twitter every day um i love helping making content 
um, coaches as well as that's something that I'm super passionate about. But speed can be trained. You got to measure it. Run fast. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, I'm looking forward to chatting next. Cool. Thank you very much, buddy. Thanks for your time. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Matt for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I would like to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. And the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast on using technology and speed, there are a variety of relevant lectures in there for you. And all you have to do to get a completely free seven-day trial is click the link in the show notes and you can be in there in just a few minutes' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, I would absolutely love it if you can give us a quick rating and a like and a share. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.